Hello and welcome to another installment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. Today we'll be taking a look back at the crazy gang, their infamous FA Cup triumph, who they were and where the individuals are now. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube. Hello Eches, how are you this morning? Yeah, very good, thanks. Uh, days are getting brighter um, Dre dropped his uh, new EP two days ago, so I've been wheeling that, which has been pretty good. Oh, nice. Not much, yeah, not much else to report, really. Um, obviously, I've tried to book loads of places with you and some of the people for hopefully <laughs> when, 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 when lockdown ends and to, to no avail so far, it's been pretty difficult to get a spot anywhere, which has been quite stressful. But apart from that, I'm pretty good. How are you? Yeah, not bad. I've been scrambling as well, trying to find somewhere for uh, the Euros for a location to watch England. Um, it's just tough because I don't know how it's going to look or how it's going to be. Like I can't imagine, a, I can't imagine watching England in a pub, in a tournament, and it just be people sat in sixes at tables not moving. <laughs> I just can't imagine that. So it'll be interesting. Well, you remember the carnage with uh, the last time you watched England at Box Park. Yeah, was, that the, was it was it the Euros or World Cup? Uh, no, it was a World Cup. It was against Tunisia. It was World Cup. Yeah, where the, was where the guy bought like two jugs of um, <laughs> two jugs of beer. Which, by the way, these two jugs of beer, I think, held what three pints each, and was about maybe twenty quid, maybe four pints. I can't remember. England scored the last minute winner. I can't remember who scored. Maybe it was Kane. It was and Kane. He just, yeah. And he just poured them on top of himself, and and then he got kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, thing, the thing was, he got like he got minimal laughs. There's a few people like yeah, so a couple of people clapping, and then the security guys came over and just dragged away. <laughs> All that money down the drain. It was worth it though. Well, for that too. Yeah, it was a hot day as well, and you're absolutely covered in <laughs> lager. And he's getting kicked out in front of his mates aren't coming with him as well. Like there's no, no, no. way <laughs> basking in that. People are singing like. Um, people are singing like New Order, World in Motion. It's a party atmosphere. I'm not leaving if my friend get kicked out for that. <laughs> yeah, he'll be waving them go- goodbye, that's for sure. <laughs> so, Eches, uh, kick off this week. Why this topic? Yeah, so I'm thinking of doing a flashback episode for a while. Um, and when you think about it in terms of teams, because that's kind of what I wanted to do it on, you have so many options, right? You've got... 90s United, the Invincibles, which I'll eventually do one day. That'll be an emotional one mm. for me, for sure. Uh, and you've got the iconic Barca team, the Pep Guardiola. But obviously, those are quite obvious titles. And I kind of felt like, let's kind of cast the net out a little bit further and think of another type of team to look at. So I kind of wanted to focus on the Crazy Gang, uh, which is aka Wimbledon FC, mm. not to be confused with AFC Wimbledon. Um, but I found them interesting for a variety of reasons. I felt like <laughs> they were the definition of long ball and aggressive style of football, which many fans then are now cited as unattractive, you know, with no rightful place in the game. Yeah. It's one of those styles, right, where your fans, if you're winning, love it. Everyone else hates you for it. Your fans will hate you for playing that style if you start losing. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? And also, it's good to highlight uh, the piece on AFC Wimbledon, not to, confu- not to be confused with Wimbledon FC, <laughs> uh, to highlight uh, their return to Palau Lane to check out our page, Y Football, for that. I haven't done a plug in a very long time, uh, so I thought I'd just drop one in there. Oh, brilliant, yeah. Did not, yeah, did an article on AFC Wimbledon, their rise and their fall. Um, I used to live really close to where the new Palau Lane, well, where it is, has been built, uh, and I, I did like I went for some runs and some walks by there during like lockdown when it was still being built. I had absolutely no idea 
it was Plowlin. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea it was Wimbledon's new stadium. I just thought it was like, you know, some hotels getting built or something, which I thought was odd for the area. Um, but yeah, so did that article on, on Wimbledon. Um, their story is just crazy, man. Like, imagine your club, the success of that triumph in the late 80s of the FA Cup. And then imagine, like, the preceding decade, your club tries to relocate to Dublin. It then gets sold. The old ground gets sold to Safeway supermarkets. So it becomes like a, you know, it becomes like a Tesco's <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. Um, and then eventually your club relocates to Milton Keynes in 2003. It's just like a crazy, crazy uh, situation. AFC Wimbledon formed in 2002, um, I believe. And, you know, their founding name is going to return to the English Football League and return to Merton. And they've done both of those things. I've got a lot of time for the... Uh, for AFC Wimbledon and the, the fans that brought them back. Yeah, no, it's like a, it's a really good uh, story, isn't it? You know, when they dissolved and became NK Dons and then when AFC started up again and they've worked their way back, I think it's a, it's a really good story. But to move back on to who the crazy gang actually are, the original Wimbledon FC, not to be confused with AFC Wimbledon, uh, <laughs> were founded all the way back in 1899, originally nicknamed the Dons, which I got a lot of time for. Um, yep. Even though the Dons are now, do you know SC Dons? Have you ever watched them? No, I've not. No, uh, it's lost. It's lost on you then. But yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a group of footballers that call themselves the Dons. A few of our listeners will know who they are. Uh, anyway, before that, they after that, sorry, they were called the Wombles before finally acquiring the nickname the Crazy Gang. Wimbledon as a team mostly played in the lower divisions, uh, winning a variety of lower league trophies, including the FA Amateur Cup and Southern League Championship. The team rose quickly from obscurity during the 1980s and were promoted to the then top flight first division in 86, mm. just four seasons after they were in the fourth division. Mm. So the crazy gang is what they were known during the late 80s and early 90s after beating Liverpool in the 88 FA Cup final. And the name has kind of stuck with them from then on. Who won the 87 final? Uh, it was Arsenal. No, it's Coventry uh, City. Incorrect. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh, God, I've got no time for that at all. Absolutely no time. Just a bit of background. My housemate's a Coventry City fan and never, talks, never stops talking about it. But <laughs> Good knowledge from you there, Drives. <laughs> so the Crazy Gang's uh, main members included Dennis Wise, Mick Harford, John Fashionu, Vinnie Jones and Laurie Sanchez. And the founder was a guy called Wally Downs. Mm, you can <laughs> You can't beat uh, Vinny, I've just got to say, in lock, in lock, stock and two smoking barrels. Just got to say it. And are there any other examples of footballers that have turned to movie stars? This made me think when we were you know, discussing this episode. Who, I mean, just, I can't think of any footballers that have actually then became film stars. Even Bex didn't. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> quite tough. Yeah, footballers that became movie stars. Yeah, I can't, no one's spring to mind. Yeah, no, that's a tough one. I can't think of any. Yeah, Vinnie Jones is... Not only has he turned to be a movie star, but he's like, you wouldn't have assumed it, would you? He's quite an unassuming person to have... I mean, I wasn't around at the time, but for someone of his kind of character and his background, and, you know, he's part of the crazy gang, to then become like an actor, and, you know, the latest one where he's in that brute advert with the horse, yeah. and, like, <laughs> it's just... I just find it bizarre. And I wonder who, like... Who do you think, out of the current crop of players, is most likely to be a movie star? Uh, most likely to be a movie star. That's a good question. Let's think about the England Selks, and it's a little bit easier. Um, Fabian Delph. Fabian Delph, why? 
because um i watched True. that i watched that clip of him in the city documentary where he keeps telling the city players to go back to basics have you seen it no i've not seen it <laughs> so basically i'll keep this brief basically pep guardiola is trying to list why they're not playing well and fabian Delph basically interrupts him and basically says yeah we need to keep back to basics we need to keep on running and keep on tackling and you can kind of mm. see the cogs in pep's head like whirling around thinking you know what i'm going to sell you because <laughs> like, what you just said is absolute garbage yeah Delph I think yeah I think Delph would fit it because he's versatile so would Milner so if you can you know you can play centre mark, centre midfield you can play left back you can play right back if you can play multiple positions in the football pitch you know why can't you do, play a starring role in an English gangster film yeah I mean <laughs> yeah James Milner strikes you more as like Spider-Man's best friend in a film more than like a gangster <laughs> psychic yeah, but he's a bit too old for that. So maybe like his uncle's best friend or something. Um, <laughs> but looking back at Wimbledon and what actually made them crazy, inverted commas, was basically they were extremely physical and daunting for opposing teams. Uh, they played at a small ground called Clan Lane, which they made intimidating for opposition, adopting a variety of tactics on and off the pitch. Um, off it, they had very basic changing rooms with no heating, which at the time <laughs> was a very different uh, setup for some of the league's best sides were used to, especially mm. as footballers are beginning to become more and more pampered in terms of the setup and approaches. Wimbledon's just kind of a throwback to you know times that have, have gone in, in, in the footballing world. In terms of on the pitch, as I mentioned earlier, they played a long ball style, which Presley would route one. Um, which is usually described to, you know, talk about the less glamorous sides in the country. Yeah. The physical side of the game, which I've mentioned a few times, was implemented by the whole 11, but in particular, Vinnie Jones, John Fashionu, and, and Laurie Sanchez. Um, but it, it wasn't just one of those things, right, where they were really harsh on the opponents and they're all best mates. There was like a cult off the pitch. They were equally harsh on their own, especially new players, in an attempt to ingrain that mentality in order to survive mm. at the club. Uh, there's a tale about a guy who joined called John Scales, who joined Wimbledon from Bristol Rovers. and He spoke at length about how tough, you know, the initial ceremony was when he joined <laughs> or the initiation <laughs> and how hard he found it to integrate himself with the core group of players. Uh, there's loads of teasing and taunting uh, to try and break him or mould him, depending on who you ask. And during his time there, they vandalised his car, which is <laughs> which is um, always what you want to see when you finish training, just see yeah. your car vandalised. <laughs> it's always good to see. Um, another incident uh, highlighted the team's brutal nature. Saw Fashionu, who was trained in martial arts, uh, judo flipped a teammate over a bench in the changing room, oh. destroying his calf, and there was blood everywhere. I've tried <laughs> to find out right what they meant by destroying his calf, but I can't really. All I've all I've got is there was blood everywhere, and his calf was destroyed. I don't know if it was in ten pieces, <laughs> two pieces. Was it broken? That's very like, big. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Um, but yeah, that, that gives you an idea of the type of characters in the dressing room. So what? So there's a I so. I mean, thinking back to an old school style of like dressing room, you'd have obviously the benches around the corner or around the, the outside of the of the, the room. Then you'd have a table in the middle where you'd have oranges, water, you'd have like, you know, team sheets, you know, the managers and coaches stand around. As he essentially just just <laughs> flipped him into the table, like like on WWE, German suplex through the table. Uh, how is that how is that how is that actually gone on? Yeah, it's it's 
it's just a different time, isn't it? I think mm. that that was that was that, that was the crazy boys. That was what they were about. But you know, that has no place in football now. Um, and you know, I didn't have any place in football then, but it, it managed to find its way in uh, Wimbledon FC. Mm. Um, John Fashion himself was an interesting character. We we did a pod on his brother Justin in part yeah. not too long ago. He's quite a divisive character, both on and off the pitch, but an effective, talented scorer, scoring 107 goals in 206 games. Mm. So Fashionu joined Wimbledon when they're on the up in the second division when he spoke about his perceived character on the pitch. He said, well, before I go into that quote, I think it says so much about how he approached football as a whole. You know, we, we're hearing all of these things about how he tackled teammates and chopped their calves up and was very aggressive. <laughs> but I think this quote, um, you know, kind of, you kind of have a view into his psyche about how he approached the game. And he said, it is much safer to be feared than loved because love is preserved by the link of obligation, but fear preserves you by a dread of punishment, which never fails. Living with a dread of punishment, that sounds, <laughs> sounds horrendous. But to, to kind of to have that kind of mentality to have that and to instill that kind of mentality in, in the club you have to kind of someone has to believe it someone actually have to i mean i suppose it worked in the end i mean to an extent anyway exactly that uh, if we're moving on to another one of their famous members vinnie jones um was another member who had this brutal aggression on the pitch um one of them which saw him clear out steve mcmahon leaving him in a heap in the FA Cup final. <laughs> Many have said in the modern day that would have been the quickest red card ever seen. But again, John Fashion had actually said that it was that moment that set the tone for the match, which Wimbledon went on to win. There was another incident which saw him uh, grab Paul Gascoigne's testicles in a heated uh, match against Spurs, Yeah, um, which kind of shows you the type of character he was while he was playing. But just like Fashionu, Vinny was extremely talented. You know, he famously said that he played completely differently into training than how he did in the game day. He said, I didn't smash anyone in training and I loved pinging it about. But when I crossed that line at 2.55 on a Saturday, I had a chemical imbalance that kicked in. I don't know what he means by chemical imbalance. It sounds quite unhealthy. <laughs> yeah. That managed to spur him on. And, and the next point is kind of what you already touched on, which is, you know, I think what the crazy gang personify is utilizing you know whatever they can to have or get an edge over an opponent which isn't too dissimilar to how sides operate in the modern day you know such as targeting certain players by clever fouling eg Grealish, all the verbal mind game strikers attempt to use on center backs you know um someone like diego costa springs to mind or yeah louis suarez's tactics with this nudging opponents in the back or whatever it's just that crazy gang were a very extreme version of that. And yeah, maybe they went a bit over the edge, but that's what worked for them. Yeah, exactly. And perhaps it's dangerous. Perhaps it's seen as like unsporting, ruins the game, whatever people would have labelled them at the time for those that weren't fans of their tactics. But at the end of the day, you think about that challenge Vinnie Jones made against uh, that Liverpool player, uh, McMahon. Um, he still didn't get sent off for that challenge. And... <laughs> I don't know what their disciplinary record was. I don't think it was very, I doubt it was very good. But at the end of the day, he has, in theory, acted within the realms of the, of the laws of the game doing that. Like, it would, it was still a foul, but he still stayed in the pitch. Um, as far as I'm aware, they weren't levied with many fines or particularly for that game anyway. And to the point I'm trying to get at is, you know, they're not, they're, what they're doing is still kind of in some way acceptable by the rule makers at that time. 
Otherwise, they'd be getting disciplined. Otherwise, they would be getting fined. They have players sent off. They wouldn't be able to finish games. That that wasn't happening, though. So to an extent, they've taken what they've seen is they've looked at the game. They've looked at the rules and said, how can we bend this as much as possible to get an edge over clubs like Liverpool, who at that time as well were coming out of, you know, the most successful period in their history, had much better resources. This is a time, well, just prior that English football dominated in Europe. Um and so you can you can see where they've done it. And without it, though, do they lift the FA Cup? Probably not. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's what club, sometimes clubs get lost in the fact that you know the best sides, even then, Liverpool were, were a very good team, and the other sides that are very good as well. And the idea is always to play this beautiful game, this magic football. And I think football gets lost in this. There's two tales, right? There's the pragmatism, which is to win at all costs, which has always been in the underbelly of football throughout yeah. centuries and years. And there's always been the the idealistic approach, which is to play fantastic football, free-flowing football, which fans love and also win. And there's always that battle, whether it's Mourinho's versus Pep Guardiola's. And it happens at the lower end of the scale. You know, you see teams now like Brighton that people love because they play very good football, but they could get relegated. Yeah, exactly. Sides like Burnley aren't as glamorous, even though they do sometimes play quite well. But, you know, all of them are trying to achieve the same thing, which is to win. And I think football gets lost to try and say, this is the right way, this is the wrong way, but there is no right or wrong way. And Wimbledon kind of exemplify that at the time. Yeah, it does translate to, to current day. I mean, it's not a direct comparison, but you even think about something like Diego Simeone gets, uh, they get lambasted as being very defensive. And they are a very defensive structured unit, but they get lambasted with being incredibly functional as opposed to being talented, even though they have someone like Joe Felix, who's one of the most expensive players of all time. And they do have talented players. They have Luis Suarez. Um, and then you think about, you know, the other end of the scale, you have someone like Marco Bielsa. I mean, we've told, we had a podcast on Marco Bielsa, uh, Marcelo Bielsa, sorry. Um, and he hasn't, as much as he's the most, he's one of the most revered coaches in world football. You know, the way the way he's talked about by people like Pep Guardiola, like people like Pochettino. But he hasn't won a great deal. He's never really managed at the absolute very top echelon of the game. Um and he has seen someone who has a beautiful style of football, but as you say, it hasn't actually translated into, you know, to an extent, results at the very highest level. For someone who's so revered as well, as we talked about on that podcast, you expect him to be, you know, a, a, a two or three time European Cup winner, <laughs> but yeah. he's not. Um, but Simeone, you know, could win the Liga, La Liga this season. He nearly won the Champions League um, and has had a, he has a, a sensational career at Atletico. So it's a, it's a very poignant point. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that one there. I think to even hammer on that point even more, someone like Simeone, even he or she's tried to adapt his style uh, to something more attacking based. And then when they played against Chelsea, they were, you know, they they didn't play very well. People are like, oh yeah, you know, he should have just stick to what he knew. Did it? You can't, you can't win. I've been aware that recently they've been doing, you know, more attacking and have been more attractive to the eye, which is great. The moment something goes badly, all his detractors flip it over and say, yeah, you know what, you should just stick to what you know. This hasn't worked, so you can never really win. Uh, to be honest, no, yeah. And what is he, what's he going to do? Go talk to with Barcelona and Real Madrid in terms of trying to purchase flair and purchase... Yeah, why not? It's a defeatist attitude, really, because, I mean, he he won a league title, which was sensational ahead of them. He could do the season. Uh, Atleti generally could. I completely agree. So, so moving back on to what happened to Crazy Gang or the aftermath, 
Winning the FA Cup against Liverpool in 88 was their pinnacle. Didn't particularly push on from that moment. You know, Dave Bassett moved on to Watford, who was their manager. And they still had a few good seasons, finishing sixth, their highest ever finish in the 92-93 Premier League season. They're one of the founding members of the Premier League as well. Fashionu and Laurie Sanchez both left in 94 to Villa and Swindon, respectively. Wise left quite a bit before that in 1990 to Chelsea, becoming a, a, you know, a big name there. Yeah, and Vinnie Jones departed in in '98. I think slowly, as each of the key members of the Crazy Gang's old guard departed, the culture slowly shifted, and you could argue that the original blueprint that made them so successful was dated. You know, as teams around them developed and became familiar with their setup, you know, they struggled to truly build in their initial success in the league on a consistent basis. Wenger actually said when he first came to England that was the hardest team for him to face was Wimbledon um, mm. because of the aggressive nature. And I think he lost a game and drew, but to highlight how their approach was dated and predictable, he didn't lose after that. I think he won the rest of the games because that effect and that style, you know, as scouting became stronger and as teams changed their styles and had more of a continental style, Wimbledon were quite stuck in this old method, which wasn't really suited to where the Premier League was going. Overall, I kind of think what the crazy game represented is, you know, the underdogs managing, you know, to beat the best and actually succeeding. Mm. There are parallels of Leicester. He obviously won the league when they're 5,000 to one. But the difference with Leicester is that they're a bit more glamorous in terms of playing style. But it's still the theme of, Football can be quite predictable and quite boring in terms of seeing the same sides win all the time. We've mentioned it on countless pods how all of the you know, big teams keep on winning and it's quite refreshing yeah. when someone upsets that. A throwback to Wigan beating City in the FA Cup final, you know, um, would be another good example. Portsmouth as well. I think football needs those stories to kind of keep fans believing in the game that the smaller sides can do it with smaller resources, with a less glamorous style, with less with players that aren't necessarily as good as their bigger counterparts. And I think that's what the crazy gang kind of represented, even though there were so many detractors uh, in the game, you know, people really, people really disliked them, coaches, players, opposition, even their own players. Some of them didn't particularly like them, but I think it's a general theme for football where, the underdog kind of needs to win uh, to keep everyone happy, essentially. Yeah, you look back at the FA Cup finals that people remember, that is those upsets, isn't it? I mean, I, I you know, I don't want to bang on again about Sunderland, but that 1973 FA Cup final where we beat Leeds, you know, there's a lot of people that's come to me and, you know, in London or up here who talk about that game like, you know, like it was yesterday because it sticks out. No one remembers like, you know, Man U versus Chelsea, I think it was like a handful of seasons ago, it was 1-0. Like, no one remembers that game because also no one really cares again when those teams win it because they've won it so many times. And uh, those stories, and that's what the FA Cup's great for, right? I mean, there's a lot of detractors even now for the FA Cup, it's particularly during COVID and during the schedule build-up. Build um, people talking about domestic competitions, you know, are they really as necessary as what they used to be? But it does still provide those moments and hopefully it will continue to do so. I think the, the issue with the crazy game was that, you know, they... they jumped up the leagues, they got they won the FA Cup, but with a style that was was becoming almost well, it was becoming outlawed in the game. I mean, you think about the advent of the Premier League, the commercialis the commercialization of, of football in this country, like it was, you know, the influx of foreign talent and people like Wenger 
um, and co at the helm, you know, football was moving away from that. So you couldn't, you know, these, the players are kind of left by then, the, the, the crazy game, but you couldn't maintain, even if they stayed, you couldn't maintain that style of football. And so when that became, you know, untenable, something else had to uh, put, prevail, which it didn't. I mean, I do, as much as they were in a very aggressive team who kind of to an extent bent the rules and, you know, played in a, in a style that was often seen as dangerous and aggressive and, you know, not really wanted in the game. I still think they were good. Fo- it would still be good footballers off the pitch. You talk about John Fashion's goal scoring record. You know, you know these they were still good footballers off the pitch. It's just that not off the pitch. Sorry, on the pitch they were still good footballers away from the aggressive style. I do believe that. I think don't think you can just win the FA Cup and rise at them just by being aggressive. You can't just be you know me, you, and a, and a team of like nine other people randomly off the street. You know, at that time, just getting together and going on the football pitch and trying to kick everyone's you know kick everyone across the pitch. We're not going to win the FA Cup. You still need to have quality behind that, but the parallels, the parallels with Leicester are, you know, interesting. But Leicester, actually, their success is probably centered more around their kind of flight to, you know, the data side to analytics and getting their ahead of a lot of the game. So that's why been, that's why this has been sustained. Whereas the crazy gang were winning with a kind of outdated method, which meant that it was not sustainable. No, I completely agree, and and you're wrong about me and you with nine people off the street playing football. Uh, I think I said a few times. Yeah. I, can't remember, I can't remember what I said last time. Did I say I was Clarence Sadoff? You said you're Clarence Sadoff, yeah. You said it a few times. Yeah, you know what? I'd stick by that one. So put me in the middle of the park. You know, I'll just never get around the pitch. So don't worry about me. I'll, I'll win a FA Cup. But yeah. you're you're right about Leicester and teams that do it with the one-off. Maybe Wigan's another good example as well, where sides either, you know, by luck or chance, and also from the styles they implement and, you know, the personnel they have win a certain trophy or achievement but it isn't always sustainable because of what's going on behind the scenes and I think the crazy gang yeah they had their style which was as you as you rightly said outlawed but it will always be outlawed there's different versions of it now in the modern game but it's always going to be outlawed right you start hoofing the ball up long or playing a direct style no matter what it looks like it will still be outlawed because football has this constant battle between perfectionism and pragmatism you know it's just how it always will be um and 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 that's kind of the the theme of the game currently Mm, definitely i mean the only team i can think that actually in modern era actually attempted to to an extent not bend the rules but to play in such a such as kind of a drastic different style of play would have been like stoke city tony pulis like they popularized that long throw you know the long ball up to the likes of you know um Kevin Jones and co. And they actually played in such a stark different style to every other football team. And it, it was just funny. It's also interesting that Wenger also hated Stork <laughs> and hated Pulis. But they're the only team I can think. Because you, you get teams that play, you know, Burnley now, play a different style of football. They, they sit mm. there packed. They will try and knock it long into the channels of players like Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes and then play off it. And they do have quality around them. Um, Dwight McNeil, for example, is a good example. Goodmanson, they do have quality there. But they do play in a different style. Someone like Pulis was so stark in you know, this is the way we're going to play football. We're going to hit the channels. We're going to get a long throw in. We're going to get the ball in the air, in the area, in the, in the, in the position of maximum opportunity as soon as possible with our big players at Ryan Shawcross, Kevin Jones, etc. Ricardo Fuller, who I was going to mention earlier, I forgot his name, but I'm really happy to have remembered that because he's obviously a legend. They did actually pretty well and it wasn't sustainable in the end. And then, Would that work again? Probably not. Football's changed drastically, I think, since then even. Um, but they're the only team I can think that is actually, you know, in terms of style, 
been so stark in recent times. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that one. Okay, that's all from us this week. I just thank you so much for uh, the insight on the crazy gang. That was very, very good, very uh, nostalgic for some people who might be listening um, to think back to that FA Cup victory and uh, even the resultant demise of, of Wimbledon, which is less nostalgic for particularly fans, but um, is a very, very fascinating topic. And it's good to see uh, the Dons back in League One with the mighty Sunderland. So <laughs> that's all from us this week, guys, and we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers.